episode 230, The Best Way to Improve Patient Outcomes and Satisfaction and Reduce Burnout. Today, I speak with John Lynn, founder of Healthcare Scene, as well as two conferences, Expo.Health, coming up on July 31st in Boston, and HITMIC. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Ambulatory patients spend about 84 minutes on average in clinic. 7 to 12 of those minutes are with a physician. Inpatient, I imagine, has probably an even greater ratio. So those 7 to 12 minutes with the physician are hypercritical, of course. I would never suggest anything that minimized the doctor-patient relationship. But how many times has a doctor's patient grade gone down because of someone nasty at the front desk? All of the other individuals a patient meets in the non-doctor portion of their visit, all of the moments that happen in that time frame, all the care coordination that does or does not happen, all these things have a significant and meaningful impact on not only the patient experience, but also patient outcomes. So how do you get the front desk and the back office and the middle office and anyone on the phone to recognize the importance to the mission of attaining the quadruple aim of healthcare? How do you get the janitorial staff to see their role as crucial in the prevention of HAIs? The IT team to feel proud that they have helped with physician burnout by making the tech help doctors instead of slow them down? Or the finance team consider the financial toxicity of their actions, the medical assistance to enter correct blood pressure or whatever data, so our predictive analytics actually work. The answer to all of these questions points back to strong leadership. It's building a culture of love, as John Lynn puts it. He means aligning around a mission to do right by patients and give them the best care and outcomes that we can. Consider this, though. A culture of love can be within one organization, but it also can be cross organizations. Peers come together and share their experiences and their best practices for the purpose of improving patient care. Then they can take their enthusiasm and passion back to their own organizations. Doing this disperses a culture. It promotes a way of thinking that connects day-to-day drudgery with an endpoint that we all can be proud of. I don't think it's controversial to say that establishing a real culture of love is the best way to achieve patient health and healthcare, a better patient experience, fewer burnt out doctors and nurses, as well as other business results. If you're interested in how all this connects to patient experience, by the way, listen to Julie Risch, my interview with Julie Risch from Cleveland Clinic on episode 228. Today, I am talking with John Lynn, founder of Healthcare Scene, as well as two conferences, Expo.Health and HITMIC. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, John. Hey, great to be here. Here's one thing that confounds me. We spend so much time focusing on patient satisfaction and quality, which we should, mm-hmm. but we put the burden for that on the shoulders of doctors very squarely and sometimes only on their shoulders. And that baffles me because the average time that a patient spends in a facility, say, is 84 minutes. And the average time that that patient spends with the healthcare, you know, physician or other clinician is something like seven or 12 minutes. What I start thinking about, and I don't think this is rocket science, is the vast majority of the time that a patient is spending in clinic, 
well, first of all, why are they spending 84 minutes to have 12 minutes with a clinician? But the second, <laughs> but obviously they're interacting with others within the context of that visit. So what is going on in, in the other 70 odd minutes? I think if you look at the hospital area, the acute care setting, the biggest influencer of satisfaction is probably the nurses because the nurses have the most interaction with the patient. You almost don't see the doctor. And when you see them, it's very short. I remember this story of uh, someone who, and we, we may have talked about this on the last podcast, but there was a gentleman who went to the hospital. They literally had a issue with his care. And the only thing he could complain about is the food. And so our food service workers at these hospitals and health systems are as influential on the patient experience as the nurse or the doctor or anyone else. If the room's not clean, that's going to lead to a dissatisfied experience. The patients are going to hate it. And so, you know, how important is that janitorial staff to the satisfaction of your patients? It's really important. And then, of course, my favorite, if you look more on the ambulatory side, the biggest satisfaction is actually the front desk worker. And so the front desk worker, who's one of our lowest paid people in a clinic, actually drives most of the satisfaction score. So I, I agree 100%. Uh, you know, we need to look well beyond the doctor if we want to really create a great patient experience. And then also just relative to outcomes, you had mentioned the janitorial staff on the HC Biz podcast with Don Lee. He did a whole series about how important the janitorial staff is actually to patient outcomes because without the rooms being cleaned, I mean, not only does it look kind of gross, but also that's how HAIs get spread. Relative to the front desk staff, the nutritional staff that you mentioned, I mean, purchasing departments and then the IT. Obviously, if the IT is so clunky and cumbersome that everyone is on edge and angry, all those things are drivers of not only patient satisfaction, but also actually the value of care and the outcome of that care. So it's really interesting what you're saying uh well, I think on a, on a number of levels. First, you know, obviously, if the janitorial staff's not doing a good job, and you know, let's bring in the IT component. If it's not communicated well, which I think one of the biggest ways technology can help healthcare is to improve the communication between the patients and the nurses and the doctors and the janitorial staff and the front desk and the HIM department, et cetera, right? So technology should help solve that communication gap that exists today where they don't even know a problem exists for the janitorial staff to come and clean up. So you know, I think technology can help solve that. But I'm also thinking about uh, at our recent HITMIC conference, which is our healthcare marketing conference, we had Dan Heath keynote the event. And he wrote five New York Times bestsellers. His most recent one is called The Power of Moments. And he describes, and you, know, you should check out his book, uh, it, it describes all sorts of great use cases for this. But you know, he looks at Disneyland and he says, why do we like Disneyland? And he's like, the experience is standing in line, long lines, going to crowded things, having subpar food. And yet all of us say, wow, Disneyland was this magical experience. And he said, why is that? And essentially, I'm, you know, I'm summing it in uh, 30 seconds here. But he said, what they do that's really powerful is they create peak moments in the experience. Because it turns out our memory, and you know, he knows the psychology of this much better than I do, but our memory remembers the peak moments more than we do the valleys. 
And his suggestion isn't that we should only create peak moments and not worry about really ugly dips. But I wonder if there's a lesson here for healthcare as well. But I wonder if we should create more peak moments in the patient experience. You know, maybe some sort of communication system with the bed that creates a peak moment and shows the patient that you care about them in a way that, you know, they're like, wait, this doesn't happen at any other healthcare organization. Anyway, I mean, I think it's interesting to think about this peak moment idea and how a healthcare organization could create that for a patient. Sure, they want to provide amazing care, but I wonder if trying to solve all the problems of patients isn't the wrong strategy, but instead we should find how do we create some amazing experiences while they're in the hospital or in your clinic. I think that would change the dynamic of patient experience as well. And what you're saying is really interesting. Let me let me ask you a question. I mean, obviously, John, you have a finger on the pulse of a lot of what goes on at many organizations across the country. Do you feel like, writ large, that health systems and hospitals have that purview, that they are sitting back in their chairs thinking to themselves holistically how can I get better health for my patients? How can I get higher patient satisfaction? And their lens is broader than what happens in the seven minutes with the doctor. So I, I think some organizations do. I think there's some unique ones that have that perspective. But I, I think the majority of hospitals, health systems, even medical practices are so overwhelmed with the operational minutia of the day that I don't think they take the time to really think about how do they create these amazing patient experiences. I don't think it's because they're evil and they're trying to do something like that. I think it's more that they're just overwhelmed. For me, it's really about taking a step back and, and deciding what are your priorities and that, I think, helps a lot of organizations to be able to change it. Uh, I recently saw a, an amazing presentation by this CIO, I think he's CIO and CMIO, and I forget, it's, it's a hospital health system in Iowa, if I remember right. And he, he was describing how satisfied his doctors were, which I think actually relates to patient satisfaction as well, because if you have happy doctors, you're going to get better care, you're going to have a better patient experience. So... And he said, now, how did we do it? Do we have a big budget? He said, no. He said, do we have you know, all this advanced technology? He said, no. He said, do we have limits on, our on what we're able to do? He said, absolutely. Are we a smaller organization? Yes. He said, and yet we've still been able to create that. And I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, the only trend that I can see across organizations that have done this and those that haven't is great leadership that is willing to set a course and show where it needs to go. And then the, all of the people in that organization buy into that leadership. And at the end of the day, I don't know that there's almost any option. And I'm thinking right now about, as you had mentioned earlier, the front desk. I mean, they have a huge impact on the experience that the patient has, number one, not only in setting the appointment, if you do have to make that phone call, but then also in the check-in process. And let me bring the back office into this as well and cite, you were talking about uh, Dan Heath. There's another guy named Daniel Kahneman who's done a lot of work as well, who said that the last 
experience that a patient has is also what sticks in their head. So the last touch point has a great impact on what someone remembers as well. So if the last thing that someone gets is a bill they don't understand for far more money than they, (laughs) you know, like, and then they call and they have somebody who's not super nice, basically telling them they have to pay or else. All these things really weigh and wrap around into, as we keep talking about, the patient experience and and patient care. And I don't know how you communicate in a really real, actionable way to everybody within an organization the role that the janitorial staff plays in preventing HAIs or the role that the front desk plays in patient experience and ensuring that somebody comes back, unless you've got a strong leader. Yeah, I agree. And I I think... What you said was really fascinating as far as the need to understand the full breadth of who influences it and do we have any choice? Because the reality for most of these healthcare organizations is if they don't change, I think they're going to run into financial challenges. Let's just use the two examples that you did, the front desk. Do we think that in the future... And, you know, right now, maybe they're okay. But in the future, will patients be okay calling to schedule appointments? Or will you have to do online self-scheduling? I think there's a real argument to be made that online self-scheduling is the future. It's just a question of how quickly your competitors are going to get there versus you. So, you know, I think that's going to become part and parcel of providing care is you're going to have to provide those services. And then on the back end, talking about the back office stuff, the billing stuff, I agree a thousand percent that they have a huge impact and not just the staff, but also the bill itself. Uh, They impact the patient experience in enormous ways. And we've seen that across so many billing companies, especially those that do it right, show an amazing improvement in both the patient experience, but more importantly to many of these healthcare executives, is actually getting the bill paid. When you're sending out a paper statement, I think I recently saw, and I wish I had the source, there's something like 80% of, of healthcare billing is still being done through paper statements. And that's just sad to think about. Yeah, it seems like there's, for all of this stuff, there's long-term benefits and then short-term benefits. And in the example that you just gave, the short-term is revenue cycle management. The long-term is you actually have a more satisfied patient because they don't have to try to figure out how to write a check. (laughs) Yeah, I think we have to become much more sophisticated and personalized in everything we do, one, for revenue cycle, and two, for the patient experience interesting that we started out talking about patient experience and then within T minus X number of minutes, somehow or another got around to bill paying. Um, (laughs) Which is all about how we're going to pay for this. You know, that's true. (laughs) Well, I think that's a broad commentary on where we are in the uh, healthcare industry today. I think the real challenge that we need to solve around this is understanding the costs associated with the care and more aligning the price of things with the cost. And that is an extremely challenging thing. And I don't think we're, uh, you know, the closest I've seen is University of Utah Health, which has made some, some strides in this area. You know, back to your point, having the doctor understand how much cost there is for the services that are going to be rendered and communicating that, or even the nurse communicating that to the patient changes the experience both during the visit so they can make a good decision and then after the visit when they don't get the surprise bill. 
So given the number of vested interests that clearly have benefit from the lack of transparency, do you feel like, you know, if you're looking at the conflicting forces, you know, on one hand, you've got consumerism and and patients choosing what facility they want to go to. And then on the other hand, you've got the obvious business reasons why you don't want to tell somebody ahead of time that the air ambulance ride they just took is going to cost 40 grand. Who's going to win? I like to say the healthcare system has been surprisingly resilient. Uh, I love when people say that the rise in cost is not sustainable. And I always ask the question, why not? You know, we, it's proven to be, and we're willing to pay anything for it. But yeah, I think the counter to that is the example uh, that I just read recently, where more and more people are taking Ubers to the hospital than they are taking ambulances. They have some great examples where someone was injured, they called an Uber, they called a Lyft, and they called an ambulance. And I I think the winner was actually Uber in this case. Uber made it to him first, got him to the hospital, got him the services they needed. So I think the consumers aren't going to wait. They're going to push forward and get the care that they want the way they want it. But the question is, are we going to be like the cab industry and just sit on our hands? Or are we going to embrace those types of conveniences as well? So they're getting great care and convenience. And I think that's still a story to be told. So I want to talk about how to actually accomplish that. And one of the things that I'm thinking of right now is this. There's an ancient almost quote from somebody with a long French name that I'm not going to remember who said something like, if you want, if you want to build a boat, don't explain how to build a boat. Teach people to love the sea. And Mm. I connected that dot because I think you had mentioned earlier the idea of creating a culture of love. At our Expo.Health conference, I think one of the things that sets that conference apart is that it's not really a conference as much as it is a community of people who come together with a passion for using technology to improve healthcare. And I think that that's where we're going to see the changes is when we bring together health IT professionals, and then that's mine, and you need some other, it needs providers, it needs patients. We have patients involved as well as many others to share their understanding of what's happening, to share the innovations that they've found to be successful. And I think the key there is really a love for the patient and a desire to improve your organization. Because once you have that culture of love, that culture of sharing, that culture of community, then if I do something that's really innovative, I want to share that with the rest of you. I want everyone else to do the same so that they can improve the experience for the patients across the country rather than just my hospital and my health system. That's what's going to change is this collaboration and connection between people Because we see innovations happening all across the country and even the world, but how do we get those innovations shared? And I think it's by coming together and sharing it. We also have the keynote speaker at Expo.Health, which fits into this category. Ivo Nelson and Dana Sellers are going to be keynoting the Expo.Health conference. And he just wrote a book called The Culture of Love. And so he talks about creating a love culture in your organization and that you don't have to rule as a dictatorship. In fact, the highest functioning organizations 
are those organizations that are ruled by love, a love for your clients, a love for your patients, a love for the people you're working for. And that creates a different environment where I don't have to tell you that you need to improve the billing experience. You love the patients and you want them to have a great experience. So you do that naturally out of that love. I would love to underscore that point. I often wonder, even amongst the, and I'm picking on the the front desk just because they are obviously very visible, but you wonder even how much anybody in an average organization who is at the front desk understands really their importance to the mission of the entire organization. Doctors go to medical school and they take an oath at least to do no harm. But the intention is there from the very beginning to help patients. Yep. But if we're talking about- At least a fr- they start that way. That's a story for another day. <laughs> That's a story for another day. But, but there's, you know, like, there's a reason that people go to med school is maybe the best way to put it. I, I'm not sure if that same reason is the reason that someone becomes the front desk manager. That goes back to why leadership is so important because leadership can instill that culture in them Let me share this. Uh, There's a research study, and I think you'll love this. Uh, It was a research study by this uh, professor at BYU, and he studied where are the most satisfied and happy employees. And he looked across all industries, and he found the most satisfied employees were zookeepers. And he looked at zookeepers and said, well, why are they so satisfied? Is it because they get paid so much? They're like, no, actually, they get paid below most people, right? They get paid Mm -hmm. very little. Like, okay, so they must work short hours and have great hours. And you're like, no, they actually work the longest hours of anyone. (laughs) He's like, so why are zookeepers who get paid poorly and work long hours so satisfied? And his answer was, they believe in the mission of the organization. I think that would be my message to all of healthcare is, how much are you infusing the mission of your organization to improve patient care? into your work so that people aren't just working a job when they're working the front desk, but they're really improving patient lives. Then you'll have much more satisfied employees. You'll have better patient satisfaction because the employees are taking care of them better. Yeah, I think that's a huge point, John. And the fact that you have that example makes me love it even more. If the janitorial staff understands what their role is in preventing HIAs and feels proud, you know, it has to do with pride. Now, if the most that you can accomplish is moving a piece of paper from one side of the desk to the other, yeah, you know, like, are you going to do that well? Whereas if you understand that the impact of what you are doing is to improve the lives of patients and that makes you feel good, then you have a vested interest to do that the most efficiently as you possibly can, you know, the best way that it's possible to do. Yeah, and I would even take it to one other level. If you can't create a mission in healthcare, then you probably shouldn't work in healthcare. I mean, it, it, it like literally is the easiest thing to help people understand why what we're doing is important. Now, I understand that there's a lot of bureaucracy and there's lots of emotions and relationships, but man alive, if we can't be proud of what we're doing in healthcare, then something is really wrong. And I think that might be one of the reasons why there's such a big backlash on social media and doctor groups who are very, let's just say, down on people who aren't doctors in healthcare. And I can in some ways see why, because if doctors just have this kind of inherent mission, and I'm not saying all, 
for sure, then it is very discouraging and very disheartening to be surrounded by individuals who do not share that same mission. I understand that EHR systems are constantly blamed for burnout, but if you start thinking about what the larger context is of that, like why are EHRs in place? They're in place for all kinds of reasons that people who maybe don't have, as you said before, the same mission or intensity of a mission to help patients have created. So I feel like that in some ways, EHR systems are representative of the means by which certain things are transpiring, and and they're not necessarily a root cause, if you will. Yeah, I mean, we could do an entire episode on just physician burnout and EHR satisfaction, dissatisfaction. I call the EHR the whipping boy. Uh, It's the one that takes the blame, whether it's responsible or not. Yeah, I think we also have to be a little careful on what we read on social media. I think we have have to take, you know, we we can't let the minority that's very vocal on social media uh, skew us too bad. You know, it's important to keep perspective on that. Technology should get out of the way should improve the experience for both the doctor, the patient, the nurses, and everyone involved. And unfortunately, in many cases, it hasn't. It's actually made things worse. Yeah. And I think the point that I was making was more along the lines of, I'm kind of echoing your idea that if there's a culture of love for patients and for patient outcomes and a mission to achieve that, and everyone's working toward that same aligned goal, regardless of whether they have doctor as a title or not, then what that creates, that alignment creates the forward movement. And I feel like there is a lot of opportunities to completely decimate morale when you have forces working at cross purposes so that someone who sees the right way to do something, not able to achieve it. The other thing that's valuable is that when you communicate to the janitorial staff or the front desk, even the tech people, that their work matters in the bigger mission of providing excellent patient care. That improves their lives, but it also helps the doctors and nurses and other people that really are on the front lines of care to understand your role as well. And that creates a great culture also, which is important because everyone needs to understand everyone's role. And then that you create a much more dynamic organization than if one person thinks that they're the one responsible for a patient experience, that creates a skewed environment, especially because it's not true. Yeah, for sure. When someone goes to, for example, expo.health, and as you said before, they're sharing best practices. And I heard someone say the other day that the problem in healthcare isn't innovation, it's imitation. That, you know, somebody comes up with a really innovative, great idea, and then nobody else uses it. What can somebody who has a really good idea like this or learn something or, or has that community as you're talking about, how can they really affect change and, and transformation? I recently heard the CIO from University of Utah. I think she's CIO or CMIO, one or the other. Uh, anyway, she said she's been chewing a lot on the idea of the balance between best practices and innovation. And when is it appropriate to leverage best practices? And when is it better to go out on your own and create innovation? And I think that it's important to have both. But at at the end of the day, when you meet together and you connect as part of a community of CIOs or of health IT professionals, 
you can be exposed to both of those things. So one, you'll be exposed to the best practices of other organizations that will help you improve your organization because maybe you're not doing those best practices. And just the exposure itself can help you to implement those in your organization. But then the second is being together can inspire you for the innovative solutions of the future. So seeing someone, having those discussions, having those conversations with people, and be, you know, I like to say breaking bread with someone and connecting with them provides you the opportunity to spend time thinking about innovation, thinking about the larger strategy for your organization, and gets you away from the minutia of the daily rigors that are required, you know, which are important, don't get me wrong. But you know, going to a conference where those people are discussing those, and it doesn't just have to be peer-to-peer, CIO to CIO, it can be CIO to vendor. Most CIOs need vendors to be successful as well. And those vendors can bring a bunch of ideas to them that will help them improve. I mean, I love uh, Citrix, which you're like, Citrix is essentially an IT company. They're doing virtual desktops and I mean, they'll do a bunch of other things. That's probably <laughs> a little bit small, but I mean, they're literally a technology company. And when I talked to them recently, they said, yeah, we're actually focused on how we can improve the patient experience. And I thought to myself at first, what in the world? Your virtual desktops are going to impact the patient experience? And then as I thought about it more, I was like, you know, they're right. If we do the IT the right way and the login to your virtual desktop takes one second rather than 10, then that dramatically impacts the doctor's experience, which also impacts the patient experience because the doctor gets to the patient quicker and has more time with the patient. So I think these are the types of practical innovations that really impact care. I think that's the goal. And I think that's where I like to look at Expo.Health as providing the practical innovations today that will enable you to have the time and the energy to be able to look at the innovations that will change the future. And when is Expo.Health this year? Yeah, so Expo.Health is July 31st to August 2nd. It's in Boston at the Renaissance Boston Waterfront right there on the water. So yeah, it's, it's a great event, uh, you know, bringing together all these health IT professionals to share in a community environment. I thank you so much for being on the Relentless Health Value podcast today. John Lynn from Expo.Health and HealthCareScene.com. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.